Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. So um, every once in a while I get questions about our creed, like, what is it? Why did we do that? We already have creeds. Uh, why would we decide to write our own? And uh, is that heretical in some way for us to come up with our own creed? Because it, the creeds are supposed to have been handed down to us by other people. So what does that mean? So I actually want to take a little bit of time today to talk about creeds and the purpose that they serve. So in 2019, as a congregation, we started asking the question, like, what do we believe? What is essential about our faith? What is essential about what it means to be Christian in our context, both here in Decatur, but also in America? And also just being a part of the Christian church that's had so many really complicated parts of history where uh, we have been... um, violent actors in the world and how do we name our faith in a good and just god while also acknowledging the like broken parts of the world in which we inhabit and when we look at our creeds in the nicene creed and the apostles creed it's hard to see that tension held together well and so we in 2019 we put a project together to decide what good news do we continue to see in our world today? And not only just new in our world today, but how does it tie our history together? And so we brought those creeds forward, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and all the other creeds that are a part of our um, that are part of our hymnal. You can flip to the back pages if you want to. You can see all of our um, all of our creeds out there. My favorite one is the United Methodist Social Justice Creed. It's not often read in church, but man, is it it's its own sermon. Uh, if we're being honest, it is powerful, and it, it's definitely worth reading in there. But we have a whole collection of creeds, and so it's hard to know like which one is the right one. Are there some that have more truth or less truth? Are there some that are more sacred or less sacred? And so we decided to hold them all lightly and try to figure out what the point, what the purpose, what the work of a creed really is. And my, my working definition of what a creed is, and this is always fluctuating. So today, my little working definition of what a creed is, is it's the, um, it's our story told with God at the center. Which is different than the way I tell my story without God at the center, right? So a creed is something that is our story told with God at the center of it. So we begin with the idea of God's Trinitarian nature, that God is both, uh, that is at the same time, God is creating and the creator of all that exists in our world. Um, 
while also being active and working with uh, creation that isn't wholly confined to everything that God would have creation do, that God works through the Spirit, and that God even became human in Jesus. And we see those stories play out in every creed uh, in our Bible. And it's really interesting to me, at least, because maybe I'm just a church nerd, but every creed, every generation defines that a little bit differently. The Nicene Creed takes a, a longer time to describe what, what happened through Jesus, what was changed because of Jesus, the incarnation of God that um, spoke truth and goodness into the world, but even more than that became a sacrifice for the sake of all of humankind's sins. And then the, the Apostles' Creed sort of got shortened and added, and it became a, a shorter creed with actually multiple different versions. You may not know that in your hymnal, if you were to open, you'd see we actually have two different versions of the Apostles' Creed. Like, it changed between generations based on the kind of language we were comfortable with as a church and based on what we expected out of humanity. And you can see that that pathway sort of start to play play out there. And so when we, when we, in 2019, were trying to decide, like, what is essential about our faith, we decided to take bits of all of those, but to expand them into a bigger picture of what our scripture is. And that's the creed that we just, just shared together. It's our story with God at the center, which is why we have so many of those even when statements, because my experience of the world is that often it is difficult Sometimes people, even people that I love, are really difficult to get along with. Sometimes I notice within myself, as much as I want to do the right thing, as much as I want to be faithful, as much as I hope to have a good influence and a, a divine impact on the world, oftentimes I am distracted away from that. And so even, even when I'm easily distracted from God's presence, God continues to persist at my side. Because that's a part of my story. And I, based on the conversations we had, again, four or three years ago, it was a part of our story. There's a tension between what God's created in the world for us and what we experience within the world. There's a propensity for, for violence that we see in the world. And we are also told that we, that our God is good and just. And when we read in the New Testament especially, God outright rejects violence. So then what do we do with our stories that involve so much violence? And those become the distractions away from what, what God's doing. This is, this is really the story of Joshua. Has anybody read the book of Joshua? Anybody deeply inspired by the book of Joshua? Yeah, it's a powerful book. And it's also a heartbreaking book. Because you see the people of God. Under Moses' leadership, they have escaped slavery all by God's doing. But under Moses' leadership, they follow God through the wilderness for 40 years. And after that 40-year journey, they come to the edge of the land that was promised to the ancestors. And on the edge of that land, Moses passes the leadership on to one of the younger spies, uh, leaders of his army, Joshua. 
And Joshua does a couple of really important things in the beginning of the book of Judges. First, he reaffirms the people's covenant. There's some echoing language in Deuteronomy, and this is where it gets really cool, because what we see and what we just read, what Julia just read for us, is a reiteration of a faith claim. It's a creed that we just read. Joshua stands in front of all of the gathered troops and reaffirms the ways that God has been active in the world from the time of creation through Noah, through the story of Abraham, and then following all of Abraham's descendants through the chaos of their lives into slavery and naming the ways that God saved and people from slavery and then led them to this precipice, this point where the people are on the edge of walking into a land of promise. And the only way they can do that is if they reaffirm their faith together by naming the only things they know is true, their story with God at the center of it. And they begin their battle. They walk in, and what's amazing is we see a little echo back to Exodus. Joshua, as they're walking into the promised lands, Joshua, uh, they, they, they bring the, um, the altar forward, and then the, the river Jordan parts in two, and the people are able to walk across the Jordan River on dry land into the promised land. And then as soon as they get in there, Joshua has this like crazy conversation, right? Like he starts walking into the promised land. And one of the first things Joshua sees is a giant figure carrying a sword. And of course, Josh's question is the right one, right? What would you ask? Are you for me or are you against me? And you know what this being says? Neither. Yeah. I am for the Lord. Exactly. Samuel. Neither. You see how quickly the first steps into the promised land, Joshua's narrative. Are you with me? Or are you against me? And the first thing God does in this promised land is remind Joshua that it is not his story. It's our story with God at the center. And through the rest of this book of Joshua, we see the people wrestle with this tension. The first city they come to is Jericho, and they listen well. There's no sword swung in the Battle of Jericho. Although the song that is now echoing in my head right now would beg to differ, right? Who fought the battle, the battle of Jericho? Joshua fought the battle. (laughs) The walls came tumbling down. No, they didn't do anything except march to the sounds of worship. God at the center. The very next city they come to The people themselves try to take power into their own hands. They see the success they've had at destroying the city of Jericho, and they decide, you know what? We're getting pretty good at this. And so they walk into the next city, and you know what happens? They lose miserably because they made it my story without God at the center of it. 
And eventually they start to learn to trust in God as they walk through this promised land, not in themselves. Now, this is, I think, a really important parenthetical here. The reason the book of Joshua is so difficult is because it is filled, filled, like the whole book contains stories about whole cities being wiped out. Men, women, children, livestock, Fields, everything completely destroyed. So when we think about what God is doing in the promised land, if we read it at face value, it sure does look like God is in favor of genocide on behalf of the chosen people to destroy everybody else. That is not an inspiring story. (laughs) That's a painful story. Which is why it's important to keep reading, because what we'll see in the rest of the book of Joshua, but even into Judges and uh, even further into Kings, many of these cities that are completely destroyed and all of their people wiped out, they continue to have business dealings there. So clearly not everybody was killed, right? Like, clearly some were there. And so, um, again, this is still part of a parenthetical because I think it's important and we need to talk about violence in the Bible. What scholars usually think is that this is probably using the same language that would be used for making a sacrifice to God, right? These cities become an entirely burned sacrifice to God. Not that they were actually destroyed, but that something about this liturgical interplay between walking through the land and the presence of God that's sort of leading them becomes this sort of theological interplay. That is a topic for a Bible study, and I would love to talk all about it. Ken, I hope you're ready for that. Um, I'm sorry if you're not, but... But like that, that's fundamentally the book of Joshua is a constant reminder for the people who are walking into the promised land that they have work to do, but that their work needs to be, needs to be guided by the presence of God and not by their own impulses. That's really the story of all of scripture. When we start to do it for ourselves, we start to get ahead of God, things start to fall apart. I don't know if you've experienced that in your own life, but when I start getting like really ahead of myself because I just want to see, I want to see some forward movement. I want to see some momentum being built up. As soon as I start walking forward too far ahead, what always happens is I look around and I realize I'm alone. And this was just my project. This wasn't God's project. This wasn't my community's project. This wasn't an essential part of what it means. Like, I I do that all the time. (laughs) You'd think that I wouldn't need this constant reminder, but as we see in Scripture, people always do. We always get ahead, always get ahead of what God is asking of us to do. Because it's a lot easier when we can see what good thing might come if we just extend it a little bit further. That distraction will always tempt us beyond what our work actually is. And it's really interesting because in the book of Joshua, 
be some language that's mirrored later in the Gospels when we look at the temptation scene with Jesus. Do you remember Jesus? Uh, he goes after he's baptized by John the Baptist. He walks into the wilderness for 40 days. And then at the end of that period, he's tempted by Satan, by the grand tempter. And what he's tempted with is wealth, power, and religious authority to be taken. If you would just leap from the top of the temple, the angels would come to his side and God's heavenly army would be there. If he would just take it, all the kingdoms of the earth could be his. If he were just willing to step one step beyond what God has already called him to, he would receive every bit of nourishment he could possibly possibly need in a time of, of famine or in a time of pain. And what happens with the Joshua story is we see time and time again that these people do take. They do steal. They do pursue their own power. And Joshua regularly needs to turn their attention back to the presence of God who is guiding them to be inheritors of a land And the way that he does that, after a long book of this tension being played out, is in chapter 24, he has a final speech to his army. And he reiterates the same stories that he's told through this whole arc, repeating, again, a creed, a statement of faith, that our God is the one who was there with Abraham when Abraham was living in a a world surrounded by foreign deities, God called him out to be unique, worshiping the creator God of all that exists. That Abraham's inheritors were to receive this same gift and that in a long line, we too as people who have now inherited this promised land are inheritors of something that isn't ours. We're inheritors of a promise of God. We're people who, who have seen God lead through so many times of trial and hardship, who've been, who's been with us through times when we've been captive, times when we've been enslaved, times when we have been pushed to the outskirts of society, times when we've not been able to fend for ourselves. God has been there every step of the way, and we stand with a choice. If we were to keep reading in chapter 24... Joshua gives them a choice based on this creed, based on this reminder that God has been at the center of every part of their story. He tells the people who are gathered there the same way that we ourselves are gathered here. He stands there and he says, who will you follow? Will you turn back to Abraham's parents' old gods? Will you inherit the gods of the people whose land we occupy now? 
I'm going to add a, another layer. Will you become your own little God? Turning aside from the presence of our God, wanting to step just one step further into that temptation to take for ourselves what is meant to be ours. Or will you worship our God who has been faithful to us? The God who created intentional space for Rahab, a foreign spy who who was willing to become a part of God's story. The Gibeonites who, as a whole community, decided to turn their allegiance to this God of Yahweh and become a part of this collective story. It's not an exclusive invitation. It's an invitation for all people to settle hearts and minds and trust in a God who has been with us from the beginning of time and continues to lead us even now. Because what I fear, and I fear this in my own life, is that when faced with a difficult challenge, especially around something I feel like I have expertise in, I may likely brush God aside and trust my own instinct, my own intelligence, my own desire. So Joshua stands, knowing this impulse is a real thing for so many human beings, and says, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. And the people say, yes, me too. And you know what Joshua says? No, you won't. Yeah, no, you won't. No, you won't. And then when the people insist, Joshua calls them to make a covenant renewal and tells them, you will become witnesses for or against yourself over who you follow. a challenging story, one that we lose sight of if we just focus on the violence of the story, but one that I think is so important for us to wrestle with, standing in an age of promise, where there's been more innovation in the last decade than existed in the previous hundred years. We stand the edge of so much. We've been inheritors of so much. We've learned so much. We've become experts around so much how easy it is to take full credit for every aspect of my story. And so we become witnesses. Do we tell our story with God at the center? Or do we tell our story with God at the periphery? Amen.
Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.